0: Welcome to Breaking the Glass Slipper. I'm Megan Lee. And today I'm interviewing Yatasha Womack about Afrofuturism. So we started this podcast to shed light on gender representation issues and genre fiction. But why stop there? We want to bring all kinds of underrepresented voices to the fore. And as such, I'm really excited to be talking to Yatasha about Afrofuturism. So Yatasha, why don't you just introduce yourself and why you're kind of play- best place to talk to us about this?
1: Sure. Well, my name is Yatasha Womack. Uh, I'm actually the author of a book called Afrofuturism, The World of Black Sci-Fi and Fantasy Culture. And it, it was a, um, it's a book that came out uh, about three years ago and has gained a lot of interest, uh, mostly because it's probably one of the leading primers on the subject matter. So uh, I've spent a great deal of time talking about Black culture and science fiction, um, but beyond just the the science fiction aspect, just the whole aspect of looking at the future um, and referencing Black culture in in doing so. And uh, I talk a great deal about the imagination, and I've had opportunities to... um, to speak in a lot of places around the world. So I'm just delighted that so many people are excited about this subject and want to look at other takes on the future or just approaches to life and time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I personally find it fascinating and really was excited to come across your book and, you know, to reach out to you about it. Um, but I, I do confess ignorance. I am Certainly, no expert on Afrofuturism. I did find uh, quite an interesting, like, really nice summary of what Afrofuturism is, um, mm-hmm. being the reimagining of African tradition that projects technofuturist possibilities, uh, which I thought was quite a nice, neat little definition. But why don't you talk to me through what Afrofuturism is, where it came from, how it's grown and changed over the years? You know, what what it's out there to try and tackle.
1: Sure. Well, Afrofuturism is a way of looking at the future um, or alternate realities, referencing Black cultures around the world. In doing so, it's an intersection between Black culture and also the imagination, technology, and it's a uh, it, and it, it plays itself out in, of course, the arts. Uh, in in culture, but it can be an epistemology as well, meaning that it could be just a way of looking at the world. So Afrofuturism, it it differs from um, a lot of science fiction that we often talk about, uh, in part because it it does value the feminine uh, voice. Uh, It highly values just uh, feminine expression or the feminine aspect of humanity. And it uh, it looks at time a little differently as well. Uh, time doesn't just function; it's not referenced in a purely linear space. Uh, time is is very much viewed as being cyclical, uh, with the past, the future, and the present kind of being various points of one. And it um, Afrofuturism, you know, it's I, I think it's it's pretty exciting in a, a lot of ways because it. It, it does remind us that there are other perspectives on the future in time and space and kind of orients a, a, a culture which, you know, sometimes isn't always spoken about uh, with respect to, to science and the imagination uh, and really sort of places a lot of those perspectives at a center point. Uh, and reminds us that there are other ways of looking at the future in technology and how it functions, whether it's through storytelling or whether it's just how we apply things in our life.
0: Wow. <laughs> Can I um, <laughs> just ask you about the, the the time that you were talking about, the cyclical versus the linear? I did not know that, and that sounds really interesting. Can you give me an example of, of like what you mean by that or how that would play out? Yeah.
1: Sure. Well, I think... Um, a lot of the art that falls within the context of what we like to call Afrofuturism, even if you look at, say, the Afrofuturism book cover, um, and I'll just use that as an example. Um, you know, that particular book cover, it uh, was created by John Jennings. And, you know, on one level, you could say, okay, well, it's an image of a woman and she has a, an ornate headpiece, right? Mm-hmm. And it could be a headpiece that's either reminiscent of maybe more traditional art uh, traditional African art, particularly some of the math work and those headpieces. Or you could say, oh, wow, this kind of looks like it's a cyborg dynamic, right? <laughs> or you could say, oh, this kind of reminds me of Carnival. And, and there's a real disorientation around time. Um, I recently shot a, a short film that's an Afrofuturist dance film, and it's called A Love Letter from Chicago. And we're, we're going to be screening it soon. But when I showed it to, you know, one person, they said, oh, wow, you know, it was hard for me to tell what time this was taking place in. You know, is it now? Is it the future? Is it an, an alternate reality? And so I think there's a a, a lot of the works and art um, that fall under this category of Afrofuturism tend to, tend to kind of bridge a lot of different times. As a matter of fact, um, there's a woman by the name of Rashida Phillips. She actually is head of the Afrofuturist Affair out of Philadelphia in the U.S. And she has a, um, a series of books around something that she calls Black quantum futurism, which is actually a theory, you know, where it pulls on quantum physics and a lot of African and indigenous perceptions of time and looks at how they could be, say, applied in the present. So there's, you know, there is some theory work behind it. And but outside of the theory dynamic, I think it's just sort of a fun, creative space to really play in. And for some reason, there's um, there's just a real desire, I think, to sort of bridge times. And part of that, you know, it it probably could be because, you know, there's there seems to you know, there's a lot of so-called interruptions in time. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, for a lot of people of African descent in North and South America, you know, the enslavement, you know, process is seen as like an interruption in time. Um, for people who may have come from colonized countries, sometimes that colonialism can seem like a break in time, right? So okay. um, sometimes I just wonder if this kind of desire to really bridge times is a way of um, kind of celebrating life and creating identity outside of those spaces.
0: Yeah. Oh, I like that idea a lot. No, It's just like, I'm thinking, oh, wow, so many uh, opportunities for great sci-fi stories. I love it. Um, <laughs> I mean, why do you think that this kind of Afrofuturism has connected so strongly with ideas about technology? Um, oh,
1: probably just the time, you know, I think in part. Um, I think another thing, too, uh, you know, race itself is um, viewed as a technology uh, within kind of the lens of Afrofuturism and some of the theories, and that it's recognized as being something that's very much created. Um, And yeah, and so race being created in terms of, uh, you know, the whole idea of a person being black or white was really sort of created to justify the transatlantic slave trade, which a lot Mm -hmm. of people don't really think about, but those identifiers didn't exist before then. You know, you existed by, uh, by tribe or maybe nation state sometimes. But certainly not by this uh, this evolution of something that we call race, you know, that had a lot of um, you know power dynamics that were kind of enforced through law and violence. So obviously, over time, we've chipped away at a lot of that. But there's not always this recognition of the fact that it was consciously created over time. So I think that's part of it. Um, I think another intrigue around technologies. I mean, we are in the 21st century, right? And mm-hmm. um, Many of the the technologies that we utilize feel like the future uh, you know it was just a few short years ago some of the whole idea of us even having this conversation right now would have come straight out of a sci-fi film right yep. so <laughs> so I think that's part of it and I think there's just the there's always this hope that technology will end a lot of the isms of the world, you know whether it's yes. sexism or you know, homophobia, etc. We're hoping that technology will create bre- greater bridges of communication so that people can move forward. Although, you know, technology has sometimes been utilized to do just the opposite. So
0: yeah, I mean, is Afrofuturism, does it tend to be quite a positive movement? Or is it because a lot of science fiction and fantasy these days, you know, you've got the dystopian stuff, and it all feels quite pessimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the way that you're talking about this, it sounds sound quite optimistic. And well, I certainly,
1: yeah, I certainly present it that way because I'm just an optimist at heart, and <laughs> <laughs> I, that makes the most sense for me in my life, right? Yeah, I just that that's how I tend to, to talk about it because I think it's the imagination and the resilience of the human spirit that you know Afrofuturism ultimately celebrates, and um, and I just think just when you think about the future, you know, the future should posit opportunity. And in contemplating that opportunity really transform who we are and what we do now. Um, so, but I do think there are, there are people, they like to plan dystopian places um, in part because it's, it's I, you know, it's just this exploration of mind, right? How bad mm-hmm. can it get? Um, I, I think from a storytelling standpoint, if you start with a dystopia, you know, there's no choice but for the character to move up.
0: <laughs> yes. It has to get better, right? <laughs> yes, that's true. It's, it's immediately so, got conflict.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. It's like it can't get any worse. Um, so, you know, I, I, I sometimes wonder if that's a default, but I just think it's, you know, as artists, it's always helpful to remind people of, um, the resilience of the human spirit and just that the the beauty of like unity, you know, or celebrating our shared humanity, I think is important.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, do you feel like Afrofuturism is being picked up more in the mainstream? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, I confess I've not read that much um, in the way of Afrofuturists science fiction um despite being a massive science fiction fan and i mean even you know in general writers like octavia butler and samuel delaney like i've read them but i the number of fans sf fans i come across and they're like who's octavia butler and i just have to you know oh come on
1: (laughs) right it's a constant conversation well it's funny you know the term afrofuturism is fairly new
0: you know and
1: that it was kind of created you know early mid 90s and It's become more popularized, I think, in recent years, in part because of, um, you know, some some very high profile art shows. I think the book helped. And then I just think that the presence of social media and the ability of people to gather around their own interests and share things that they like and kind of create these digital communities Mm -hmm. um, has really demonstrated that there is an audience. So, I mean, Octavia Butler has been selling books worldwide for a very long time. But for for some reason, it seemed to be difficult to really gauge her fan base, maybe um, until, you know, I think social media uh, and the how people use it to show their enthusiasm is, is just really pushed a lot of these conversations forward. So you see Marvel focusing on Black Panther, you know, doing a Black Panther film now, which is super exciting um, for a lot of people. And, you know, that could be Afrofuturist, depending on, you know, how it's showcased or, um, mm-hmm. you know, just seeing more um, elements of what you might call Afrofuturism or just, you know, people of African descent in more sci-fi projects, you know, I think is as a result of kind of the popularity of the growing popularity of Afrofuturism and the recognition that, oh, wow, you know, black people read sci-fi, and look, other people want to read about black people in the future. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, it seems very basic, but um, sometimes, you know, media outlets need justifications for these kinds of things.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it was a big deal when um, I probably butcher her name. Apologies, but uh, Nnedi Okorafor. She yes. when she won the <laughs> was it the Nebula. Right. Yeah, Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I felt like that was a really big deal. And um, you know, N.K. Jemison and some of these writers just getting more um, accolades and and just being read by more people is really important.
1: Right, and I think people, you know, are are really open to engaging into a wide range of stories. So you know, I think it's it's also really. You know, hats off to a lot of people in the, the sci-fi community, you know, who just looking for uh, a variety of perspectives.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I have this uh, the constant issue of like where, you know, books, YA books are because there's a YA protagonist and people only like to read about themselves. I'm like, that's just nonsense. People like to read about all sorts of people. That's the point. That's the reason why you have fiction, to get out of your own life. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, that and, you know, the whole idea of, you know, what do you mean you're reading about yourself, right? Like, are you purely just, you know, your skin color, you know, um, or the culture you came out of? I mean, you know, half of these books are about people on other planets anyway. I mean.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I mean,
1: as far as we know, we're all from Earth.
0: (laughs) I mean, we all could read Animal Farm. That was about animals come on let's just <laughs> yeah
1: exactly but that goes to show how socialized people get around these these concepts of difference um and you know it's not just uh, a difference in, in terms of you know perceptions of appearance or whatever that's supposed to mean but uh just the the viewpoints and the concepts and ideas that can come from other vantage points uh, yeah. which you know I, I think are really interesting. Um, you know, Octavia Butler, I think, is really magical in a lot of ways because she really does write from the perspective of the underdog um, and in uh, the, the underdog where the heroic arc is, um, is not what we're used to or certainly not always accustomed to reading in fiction. And so I, I just think it's really, you know, it's great to look at these other perspectives um, but I, did, I have heard weird things like, you know, where I would hear maybe some male bloggers not or, or podcasters, you know, and they're talking about certain stories written by women and they can't relate to reading through a woman's perspective. And you're just thinking, what's to relate to? Just read what she says. Like, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, it's like men have been writing female characters for a long time. So why can't women write male characters or you know and so on and yeah the idea that you can't relate to someone of another gender is baffling like how do you survive in everyday life
1: <laughs> right exactly i mean it's how different are we you know um but anyway so so yeah so i think i think you know that there's a lot of exciting things taking place in afrofuturism and and just in general with a lot of the writing and films and works that are being created
0: yeah, I mean, um, let's I know we're trying to keep things positive, but <laughs> let's talk about some of the the not so good. So like what are some of the representations that you have seen in mainstream media that you know, in, in films and books that you you know, really need to kind of benefit from <laughs> this kind of inclusive voices. You
1: know, Megan, I have to be completely honest with you. If I don't pay attention to those sorts of things. Like I'm not going to like watch a show and say oh this sucks and then keep watching it and talk about how <laughs> bad it sucks and yeah. how it needs to change, right? I'm just not going to watch it. Um so if if it's something that, you know, from a representation standpoint doesn't make any sense, it's just not something I'll support. I can't put my energy behind that and then still write, you know, the kinds of books and characters and things that I'm doing. <laughs>
0: I think that's a very sensible approach. (laughs) I did actually read uh, a a quote from you in another article um, where you talked about how you felt that Afrofuturism could bring some really interesting and fresh perspectives to sort of the mainstream feminism movement. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, sure. Um, I think one of the interesting things about Afrofuturism, uh, especially in the... I think, well, let me say this. I think with Octavia Butler being a, uh, a woman, um, and a, and a, a woman of African descent, um, I think she inspired a lot of women who were of African descent, just a lot of women in general to mm-hmm. feel comfortable writing themselves into sci-fi, right. Or comfortable yep. writing about themselves in the future. A lot of prominent writers, you know, Nadia Kaur for, um, even N.K. Jemison, you know, who I've, you know, I've interviewed at various points, have pointed to her as an inspiration in that sense. Um, but, you know, beyond that, I think when we think about women who we now describe as Afrofuturists, uh, whether they're in music or they're in, you know, literature or they're visual artists. And, you know, on the music end, you know, of course, I could think of someone like a Janelle Monae.
0: Mm -hmm. or she's um, fantastic love her
1: (laughs) right or even a solange Knowles, you know Mm -hmm. um you know we put in that category um if we're going to you know i I would say someone like a grace jones definitely right um they they fall in afrofuturist categories Uh, Mm and when i think about some of the women in literature even some of the visual artists who are afrofuturist uh or, or filmmakers you know like a Colleen Smith, for example, does a lot of, you know, independent shorts. When I think about these people, these ladies express themselves in such a, they're the kinds of women that you can't quite describe, um, meaning that they're, they don't fit in any box. And I, I you know they might ex- express you know very masculine they might express very feminine they might be very much a balance of the two I mean they can there's there's no one look to say oh that's the afrofuturist you know and that one's not <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I just think that's sort of important because when we talk about womanhood and, or being a feminist and being an empowered woman and what that looks like sometimes I just I wonder if there's like this default assumption around what that looks like or the language you're supposed to use or how you're supposed to interact or how it's supposed to show up. And in Afrofuturism, um, whether you're looking at characters or creators or, or people who fall in that category, there is no definition around what a woman is supposed to look like and be and feel. There, there is no assumption around how an empowered woman is supposed to to come across. Um, I mean, I once saw something, and you know, and there there are a lot of critics. There was a lot of criticism at one point about Beyonce saying, "Well, Beyonce can't be a feminist," and you know, Beyonce isn't necessarily a sci fi head, as far as I know, right? Mm-hmm. Although I think you can argue her album Lemonade and the visual album does teeter into Afrofuturistic, definitely surreal. Mm -hmm. Um, dynamics. Right. And, um, you know, and it's, it's like, okay, well why couldn't she be a feminist? What, because she, she's sexy and attractive and, you know, wears foreign chills and sexy dresses. I mean, why can't you be empowered and, and still present yourself in that way? Right. Yep. Um, and I, I just, so just the fact that there's even a conversation about, you know, this expectation of, well, you know, she can't, you can't play into the imagery for men, you know, and still be an empowered woman. It's like, well, who says she's doing that for men? Most of her fans are ladies. <laughs> why can't she be doing that for herself? Uh, I just think that these things just get really interesting when there's this, but it becomes this kind of expectation around what a woman is supposed to, an empowered woman feminist woman is supposed to look like, what she's supposed to value. And I think one of the primary things uh, uh, that at least could come out of Afrofuturism that I think could help with some of the intersectionality of feminism is that a woman can define for herself how she wants to present and how she best wants to represent herself. You know, that that's not, you know, up for that doesn't have to be this group decision, even if it's a group decision by empowered women, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I just think that there just needs to be more, it would help if there was more room for that. But within the Afrofuturist context, it's not much of a discussion, I don't think. It's a (laughs) non-issue.
0: Well, that's great. But I was thinking, like, do you think maybe if because afrofuturism is fairly new in terms of you know a, a labeled movement as such that it it's perhaps easier for it to sort of go outside of the entrenched tropes because it's not quite science fiction you know it's not just fantasy it's it kind of skirts all around and, and encompasses so much and in that way it may be freer of some of these you know long-dogged tropes that we've sort of fought against for so long
1: Well, here's the thing, you know, the term Afrofuturism is new. The concepts aren't. So uh, a lot of these concepts, you know, we could go back a a couple hundred years or or even further than that, really, right, Mm -hmm. and reference some things in ancient cultures. You know, a lot of people like to reference the Dogon culture and their, um, you know, their story of origin, you know, where they say that their ancestors came from like a distant star, you know, the Dogon are out of Mali and, you know, have a, a kind of complex um, kind of science mysticism system. And, you know, and there's a lot of other things that people could talk about in that context, right, that are clearly related to Afrofuturism in terms of how we talk about it today. So the concepts aren't new. The 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 term is new, but its a ability to sort of dance around these tropes, I think, is in part is more of a reflection of um, its resilience and sort of how it's functioned for a lot of people um, over the past, you know, so many decades or so, meaning this idea of using the imagination to transform your circumstances, uh, being very much rooted in, for some people of African descent, is kind of this liberating space. And you know, when they were in, in very tough spaces. So, uh, in that sense, yeah, it it can't really be pinned pinned down, um, and, and it wouldn't fall into a trope, because to fall into a trope is uh, almost to make it so obvious that it can't exist, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there, there there may be something to that. Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah, I do. I I love the the idea of using kind of, well the Afrofuturism talking about that kind of the hopes and that, that escape and, and what might be a better world. Um, that, that really appeals to me because I was, there's so much these days that is quite depressing. It's, I love reading stories about, you know, what the world could be, you know, the possibilities of something better. <laughs> I really like that. Yeah. Well, it's up to
1: us, you know, I mean, we can't get lost and stuck
0: in, and
1: some of the things that are presented to us, you know, you know, we, we have to find those, those rays of hope and, and excitement, uh, to really kind of push the ball forward.
0: I mean, so what, what are some of your favorite, you know, pieces of Afrofuturist, um, writing books, f- film, TV, um, you know, like what really drew you to Afrofuturism as a movement? You
1: know, it's, it's, it's interesting because it, um, I was always interested in it before I really knew what it was called. And it, it's and I had this experience where, you know, I mean, I was very much into Afrofuturism in college, not knowing it was called Afrofuturism. I had a lot of friends who really were approached it through kind of a theory perspective or through music. Um and you know, later, you know, out of college, you know, I did a lot of writing, a lot of journalism. So I was I covered a great deal of arts and entertainment, and I was always engaging with Afrofuturists who had never actually heard the term. So by the time I heard the term Afrofuturism, I had met so many actual af- Afrofuturists that I was really annoyed that I hadn't heard the term, <laughs> and that the people I knew who were probably more Afrofuturists than you know anyone had never heard the term either, and. You know, that's part of the reason why I wrote the book. I was just saying, gee, you know, there's so many people out here who connect to these ideas uh, about, you know, the imagination and and, you know, transforming circumstances. And they see relationships between history and the future and time and technology and like playing with those concepts um, to create a, a life for themselves or just to create artistic works. And I'm just thinking, gee, we've never heard these terms before. And, you know, so I wrote the book really out of a, a, a mild annoyance that I hadn't actually heard the term Afrofuturism or if I did, it didn't stick. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And uh, what it did was it helped create kind of this larger community where people can look and reference work. So so that said, what are some pieces I really like? You know, what really excites me uh, a lot of like the the beat music. Okay. Um so uh, a lot of technology through music. and so I have to reference um, King Britt, who's this producer and DJ, who's a really amazing guy and he actually curated um, a show called Moon Dance at the Museum of Modern Art uh, in New York and brought together a lot of maybe leading beat music you know producers who do a lot of like the live beat mixing uh, and and to me that was just so electric. Um, you know, there were people like um, DJs or producers like uh, Arash G and, um, you know, and many others. And it was just really kind of fascinating to just see the heights of, you know, technology in music and to see that really create it live. So that was exciting for me. Um, other projects that are exciting to me. I really like John Jennings and a lot of the work that he's doing. Um, he, along with Damien... Uh, Duffy put together, or they did an, a, a graphic novel adaptation of Kindred. Okay. The, yep. So, so I'm excited. Um, you know, John also did the Afro features and book cover, which I like a lot. And, you know, we're doing some things too. So uh, I like, I'm a big fan of his. And what are some other works I'm excited about? Um, I, the, a lot of the visual art that's coming out is really, really interesting. And uh, I think super inspiring. I mean, anyone on Instagram, I mean, if you look up Afrofuturism, there's so many like really cool comics and and, uh, uh, graphic pieces that people are putting together that, and they're all over the world. And I just think that that's really important. Um, to see all of these images of, of people in space or fantasy images mm. that are really kind of referencing, um, you know, people who are in in black culture. So um, so yeah, I mean, those are some of the fun ones. Um, and for me, I mean, i'm I'm doing a lot now kind of in the the filmmaking space too. Mm-hmm. So there is the film I mentioned, you know, a love letter from Chicago, which, really looks at Afrofuturism through dance, you know, um, looking at dance as kind of this this mode of communication um, into the past and the future. And uh, there's another film that I'm working on called Bar Star City, which um, is about kind of this bar on the south side of Chicago that's like a, a portal to other world.
0: Um,
1: yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. We have like a great team and, you know, great group of actors and actresses and, you know, so we'll be getting that on and off into the world uh, as well. So for for me, Afrofuturism has been like a great spark of creativity and, and connection, you know, not just in terms of works that I'm creating and developing, but also in terms of just, you know, connecting with really amazing artists all over the world. And, you know, I I wouldn't have guessed that Afrofuturism could could be a connector in that way, but it really has been. And I I appreciate that because, you know, at the end of the day, it's about us engaging with all kinds of perspectives to really help us understand the human spirit and possibility and, you know, maybe pull from some ideas that can help create a world that uh, better celebrates Our dignity, you know, and our humanity. So I I have a lot of, you know, high hopes for for Afrofuturism, (laughs) but I can certainly say personally, you know, it's been quite transformative.
0: Yeah. And I think I can definitely see why science, just normal science fiction fans, just everyone, anyone who likes science fiction should sort of look into Afrofuturism because, I mean, what drew me to science fiction originally was just, you know, a love of just asking what if, and that mm-hmm. to me is the whole basis of science fiction which also seems like a good amount of afrofuturism as well it's just what if and you know like what what if this technology happened and and how could we express this and and so i think that it's it's uh you know a shame at the moment that it's still a little bit under the radar and hopefully um you know more and more people will start getting into afrofuturism
1: yeah not very much so i mean it's it's um it's been a great experience. I mean, even speaking with you, Megan, I mean, all of this is just an outgrowth of the kind of shared enthusiasm and the, you know, and too just the, the fact that we're highlighting so many amazing artists and creators who are out here telling like these fantastic stories and creating these, these fantastic works of art. Um, I I just think that, uh, you know, we kind of, Owe it to ourselves uh, to let the world know that these people are out here.
0: Um, why don't you just, um, you know, sort of wrap things up a little bit? But if you um, give us a little talk about your book Afrofuturism, the kinds of things that it covers, and why everyone should go out and buy a copy and read it and love it. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, Afrofuturism. If you're the person and you're wondering what is Afrofuturism. This book is for you uh, <laughs> because we talk about it from a fan standpoint. We talk about it from a, a theory standpoint, but we also look at it, you know, we organize it in terms of music or, or major themes in time, looking at literature. Uh, and there is a chapter on, on femininity, you know, kind of the divine feminine in space. And, you know, just the expression of, of women or just the feminine aspect of humanity and and how that's come across in various works. And it, it's a cool intersection where you get, you know, bits of theory, a little bit of history. You get to learn about some major players kind of in, in um, all these different genres uh, and also, you know, gives you an opportunity to look at, you um, Futurism, you know, through the eyes of certain activists as well, um, because there we do talk a little bit about activists who are kind of working using sci-fi as platforms to really engage their own visions or to create kind of more community based work. Awesome. Um, yeah. So it's it's all of that. And I do have to share with people that there is, uh, I do have another book, uh, another book series called Rayla 2212 and Rayla 2213, which does follow um, a woman who lives on a planet 200 years into the future. And some of her time travel, self exploration adventures. So I encourage people to take a look at that, too, if they want to just explore fiction.
0: Yes, for sure. <laughs> And so um, you said that your your films coming out soon. Is it?
1: Yeah. Well, a love letter is a short film, so that one we're going to have in festivals, you know, um, all around. And I'll be able to announce, I guess, the first festival soon. But we're going to do a uh, we're going to do a private screening here in Chicago and um, do a launch this summer. Um, but beyond that, we're going to be in festivals all over the world, ideally, and, and kind of screening it um, because it is a unique piece. I think to talk about sci-fi, Afrofuturism, and dance in one. Uh, I'm really proud of it, actually, because I, you know, grew up as a dancer, so it's is um, pretty exciting for me. Um, but and in addition to that, yes, we're <laughs> shooting this film, Barstar City. So it's busy times in the world of Afrofuturism, Megan.
0: Awesome. Well, I think our listeners should definitely pick up all of your books and check out to make sure if they can see your films and festivals near them. Yeah, please do. <laughs> well, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today.
1: Oh, of course.
0: Thank you for listening to Breaking the Glass Slipper.